and uh, thank to the worship so well. I also want to congratulate Jonathan. You really are an inspiration. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> well, I want to welcome you again to Gordon, whether you join us online or in person. We're so glad that you chose to be with us. I'd like to begin by telling you a story that I recently read. Now, I don't know much about football or much about sports for that matter, but I read about this guy named Lou Little. Apparently, he coached football at Georgetown some time. While he was there, he had a player on his team who was definitely third rate, but he had so much spirit that he was an inspiration to the team. He rarely got to play except for the last few minutes of a game he was already decided. One day, news came that the boy's father had died. The boy came to Little and said, Coach, I want to ask something of you that would mean an awful lot to me. I want to start the game today. I think that's what my father would have wanted the most. The coach hesitated for a moment and then said, Okay, son, you'll start, but you'll only be in there for a play or two because you're not quite good enough, and you know that. Well, the boy started the game and played so well, Little never took him out. His play inspired the team to victory that day. Back in the locker room, Coach Little um, went and embraced the young man and said, son, you were terrific. You never played that way before. What got into you? Now the boy answered, remember how my father and I used to walk arm in arm? There was something about him very few people knew. You see, he was totally blind. And this afternoon was the first time I ever, my father ever saw me play. Now that young man was, was inspired to excel and, and because of his thought of his father. And because of that, the team went on to victory. This morning we're starting a new series called Inspired. I believe when we get inspired, great things can be accomplished. Think about it. Many of you chose the path you're on today because someone or something inspired you to do something. Inspiration is a powerful thing. It's important for us to experience that and to understand it. So the first thing we need to ask is, what does it mean to be inspired? Well, according to the Cambridge English Dictionary, inspired means to fill someone with confidence and a desire to do something. Another definition for inspire that I found said inspire means to move or guide by divine influence, to move someone to act, create, or feel emotion. Now let me give you an example of um, someone who was inspired. It's about this young man who took a shortcut home through a cemetery late one night and he fell into an open grave. He cried out for help and tried to climb out, but it, he just couldn't get out. There was no one around to hear his cries or to lend him a hand. So he settled down in the dark corner of the grave to wait for morning. A little while later, someone else took the same route through the same cemetery, taking the same shortcut, and he fell into the same grave. He started clawing and shouting, trying to get, um, get out just like the first guy had done. Then the second guy, he heard a voice coming from the corner of the dark grave said, it's no use. You can't get out of here. Guess what? He did. <laughs> the 
Sometimes we get stuck, and all we need is just a little inspiration. To be honest with you, I haven't been feeling very inspired. I need some help. How about you? I feel like the past two years has left many of us feeling uninspired. So how do we live our lives again with passion, enthusiasm? How do we get motivated to do anything? Well, I think it comes down to one word, inspiration. Many times something that will inspire us is other people's stories. Now, one such story that I read was the story of a fifth grade class at Lake Elementary School. They had 14 young boys who had no hair. Only one of them, however, had no choices. Ian was undergoing chemotherapy for lymphoma, and all his hair was falling out, so he had his head shaved. But then 13 of his classmates shaved their heads so Ian could feel out of place. Ten-year-old Kyle started it all. He talked to some of the other boys, and before long, they all went off to the barber shop to have their heads shaved. Kyle said, we did it because we just wanted him to make, make him feel better. We didn't want him to feel comfortable. Now, if you felt moved by that story or even thought, oh, that's so nice of those boys, then most likely you are a compassionate if you felt nothing at all, then I'm afraid you might need this message very much. <laughs> See, compassion seems to be a reflex action for some people. But for most of us, it's much more difficult. And there are many reasons why some people are compassionate while others are. I believe part of it can be explained by the way God made us, our personality. Part of it is due to our family upbringing or the kind of experiences we've had but did you know that there are scientific studies that suggest that there are physical benefits to practicing compassion? Apparently, people who practice it produce 100% more DHEA, which is the hormone that counteracts the aging process, and also 23% less cortisol, which is the stress hormone. So compassionate people, according to this study, are less stressed and they look younger. Now, that's a good reason to, to practice compassion, <laughs> but I have an even better one. No matter the, your present level of compassion, one thing is clear. The Bible tells us that it's important to be compassionate, to continue to grow, to become even more compassionate. Ephesians 4, 32 says, and I'm going to be reading this from the Amplified Bible. It says, and become useful and helpful and kind to one another, tender-hearted, compassionate, understanding, loving-hearted, forgiving one another readily and freely as God in Christ forgave you. As I already said this morning, we're starting a new series called Inspire. And I'd like to begin by addressing this matter of compassion. I want to talk about how we can learn to become more compassionate towards others. Also look at what God can do through us individually as a church or inspired to be compassionate. Throughout the Bible, we see how Jesus was compassionate. He was specifically moved when people experienced pain, sickness, sorrow. He was moved when people were hungry, lonely, confused. But what moved Jesus more than anything else was the law. One passage that talks about this is Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. If you have your Bibles with you, 
um, then you can turn with me there. If not, it'll be on the screen. So again, Matthew 9, 35 to 38. says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's just pause for a moment and pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is there to help us, to guide us, to teach us, and to change us. Lord, I pray that as we look into your word today, that you would convict us, that you would show us areas in our lives that maybe we need to be more like you. God, I pray you'd help me to say what you would have me to say today. And, and just we, we just confess our great need for you today in this area of compassion and ask that you would make us more compassionate people. God, we thank you and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The word here for compassion is the strongest expression for pity the Greek language offers. It means to be moved inwardly, to yearn with tender mercy, affection, pity, and empathy. It refers to the deepest possible feelings. The phrase move with compassion literally means to be moved in your inner organs. It has the same idea as our modern expression when we would say, from the bottom of my heart. Now, Jesus, he was often called the man of compassion, and that's because he entered into the arena of human suffering. He lifted burdens, and that's what compassion is. Compassion is more than an emotional experience. It's feeling someone's pain, and it's also doing whatever's possible to alleviate it. Now, one definition for compassion that I found that I like was compassion is sympathy coupled with a desire to help. Now, sympathy means the capacity to share feelings, to enter into the same feelings, to feel the same thing. So compassion is sharing the feelings of others and possessing the desire to help them in their trouble. Now, I don't know about you, but I surely need all the help in this arena that I can get because too often... I'm selfish and I'm self-centered, but I want to be, I need to be more like Jesus. So let's look and learn his secrets for caring about the needs of others. And I'm hoping in doing so, you will be inspired to become more compassionate. So what practical steps can we take to become more like Christ and relate to people in a more compassionate way? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to see with God's eyes. Verse 36 says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Jesus saw the crowds. He opened his eyes to what was going on around him. Jesus didn't turn a blind eye to those who were hurting. He didn't pretend that they weren't there. He didn't isolate himself from the realities of the world. He made himself aware of the needs by giving them his attention. Now, there must have been every kind of person in the crowd of thousands that day. So just what did Jesus see? 
Well, I believe Jesus saw faces and lives and situations and struggles and hurts. I believe Jesus saw the heart of a person. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, The Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, we can't see into people's hearts, but having eyes like Jesus will at least cause us to not judge others based solely upon what they look like or their outward appearance or what they wear or where they've been or what they've done. So we need to see people like Jesus did. And I think Jesus also saw his treasure when he looked at people. Psalm 139 verses 13 and 14 says, For you, were, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. When you look around you and you see people, do you think, wow, this person is a custom-designed creation of the Almighty God? They have God's image stamped on them. This person is the object of God's greatest affection. Do you think Jesus shed his blood for that person and they really matter to God? Is that what you think when you look at people or do you think something entirely different than that? You know, next time you're tempted to be rude to someone or look down on someone, remember that person matters to God and God's treasures should be treated tenderly. Jesus also saw the lost. Matthew 18, 11 says, For the Son of Man did, has come to seek and to save which was lost. His, person, his purpose in coming was for the lost. Our text said when Jesus saw the crowd, he was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. In other words, they were lost. When you see people, do you realize that Jesus died for them too? Does your heart feel with compassion, filled with compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd like Jesus' heart did? When we grasp that truth and begin to see people for what they mean to God, we begin to soften and we begin to treat people with more compassion. Well, sometimes we can be in the middle of something and have hurting and lost people all around us and we don't even see it. Uh, a few years ago, my family went on vacation. This was probably, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And we were about halfway on our, to our destination on a flight. And I got up from my seat to go to the back to the washroom. And just as I got to the very back of the plane, something happened that I had never experienced before. Without any warning, the plane, it was like it just dropped. And then after another second, it dropped again. And I remember my feet just left the floor and went up and I, uh, my stomach dropped. It was like I was on a roller coaster. Well, I found a seat close to the back as quickly as possible and I buckled up and found myself a motion sickness bag. But honestly, I didn't think too much about it. Well, when the seatbelt sign finally went off, I went back to my seat and John and Sarah and Leah were there and they were so shaken up and they were worried about me and I was like, I'm fine, just a little bit nauseous, no big deal. But later, when the plane landed, everybody was talking about how bad it was and how scared they were. Leah began to describe to me the scene on the plane. 
She said people were screaming and crying and praying. She said it was like a scene out of a movie. I hadn't seen any of that. I think I was just so focused on myself and trying not to throw up that I didn't see the people. I was like my vision was impaired to the hurting, scared people around me. At that moment, they thought they were going to die. So I think often we can be like that. We can go through life and we're focused on ourselves and we're not really seeing people, who they are, and that they're lost and hurting and scared. Now, if we're going to be motivated by compassion, we need to see people with God's eyes. The second thing we need to do is feel with God's heart. Compassionate people have this natural tendency to empathize with others, to feel what they're feeling. Less compassionate people, on the other hand, they can look at someone who's hurting and say, oh, I see you have a problem. You see, it's easier for them to analyze others' problems than to feel with them. To become more compassionate, though, we need to slow down and make a conscious effort to put ourselves in other people's shoes. We need to ask ourselves, how would it feel to be in their situation? How would it feel to be unemployed, to have a mortgage and bills and have children that you can't provide for? How would it feel to be widowed, to lose a child or a parent? How would it feel to have cancer or multiple sclerosis or Alzheimer's disease or be unable to stand and walk? How would it feel to be alone in a new city or a new country with no family and no one to talk to? Oh, when we take the time to really walk a mile in someone else's shoes, it's then that compassion can start to grow in our hearts and our perspective begins to change. Author Stephen Covey tells of an unusual experience that he had in a New York subway. He says, I remember one Sunday morning on a subway in New York. People were sitting quietly, some reading, some lost in thought, some resting or sleeping. Then suddenly a man and his children entered the subway car. The children were so loud that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently neglecting the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, and it was very disturbing, and yet the man sitting next to me did nothing. I couldn't believe that he could be so insensitive to leave his children like that and do nothing about it. So finally, with unusual patience, I turned to him and said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you could control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as if to come to consciousness of the situation for the first time and softly said, Oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to do, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. He said, at that moment, my paradigm shifted. Suddenly, I saw things differently, behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about my attitude, my behavior, because my heart was filled with this man's pain. Feelings of sympathy and compassion flowed freely. Your wife has just died, he said. Oh, I'm so sorry. Can you tell me about it? What can I do to help? And he said, everything changed in an instant. You see, compassion starts when we begin to understand the hurts of other people and put ourselves in other people's shoes, when we feel with the heart of God. 
The third thing we need to do to become more compassionate is to treat people as God treats us. You know, so often we look at someone who may be hurting, sick, or in need and have sympathy for them, but we don't show Christ-like compassion for them. Compassion should motivate us to more than just feeling sorry for someone. It should motivate us to action. Pity is a feeling, but true compassion demands an action. Someone said, charity is more common than compassion. Charity is tax deductible. Compassion is time consuming. Compassion is action. There, there's this funny story about St. Peter admitting people to the gates of heaven. Peter asks one man who appears, tell me one act of compassion that you committed during your life. The man said, once I saw this rough-looking gang of motorcyclists harassing a whole old lady, I walked right up and punched that gang leader in the nose. St. Peter said, when did that happen? And the guy said, about 30 seconds ago. <laughs> okay, that is a really bad joke, but I wanted to make the point that compassion will cost you something. It demands action. Compassion has to go beyond feelings. It's important to start seeing people as God's treasures. It's important to learn to empathize with them. But how should those feelings be expressed? Should I slobber all over people? Should I sell my house and give the money to the poor? What does a compassionate Christian do? Uh, I was on my way home from, uh, on my way to work one morning. I had dropped John off at his work, and I was coming north on Warden. And I thought to myself, I'd really like a large decaf tea, one bag in, one on the side black. That's my usual order. So I pulled into the Tim Hortons, the one just um, next to the 401 on Warden. And as I pulled up to the drive-thru, I noticed a man. He was thin with matted hair and dirty clothes. He was, had a few teeth missing and his hair was all matted and he was noticeably limping. And he was yelling really loudly, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And he was coming straight towards my car. Now, I have to admit, my initial reaction was a little bit of fear, but I started checking around the car for some change, and he reached my car just as I got to the speaker where you placed the order. I rolled down my window, and I heard the employee scream through the speaker in this very authoritative voice, you get out of here right now. At that, I jumped, and the man just took off limping in the other direction. And then that same voice, but more calmly and politely said, welcome to Tim Hortons. May I take your order? <laughs> well, I got my tea, and I headed for the church, but I couldn't stop thinking about this man that was hungry and wondering, what should I have done? See, it's hard to know sometimes what we should do and how to respond in situations where people are hurting and in need. You want to be wise, but you want to help people. You don't want to harm them anymore. So what do we do? What does compassion look like? What does a compassionate person do? Well, in a nutshell, Scripture says that we should treat people as Jesus treats you. Psalm 145.9 says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Think about it. When you make a mistake, how does Jesus treat you? He lifts you up. He forgives you. He continues to treat you with respect. 
Why not do the same for the people that you live with and work with and worship with? When you pray, Jesus listens attentively to every word you say. Why not treat your children, your spouse, your friends, your co-workers the same way? Slow down and decide, I'm going to listen because I really want to hear what you have to say. When you feel lonely and insecure, Jesus stays by your side. He comforts, he supports you, and he assures you of God's love. Why not give comfort and support to the people in your life that are going through difficult times? Now, many years ago, the phrase, what would Jesus do? WWJD was very popular. You remember that? Some of you do. Well, it was on wristbands and mugs and T-shirts and bumper stickers, necklaces and earrings. Also available, if you knew where to look, were WWJD teddy bears, WWJD lunchboxes, WWJD baby bibs, and even, believe it or not, WWJD underwear. <laughs> I was curious about how it all became so popular, so I researched it, and I found that it had a long history. In 1896, a pastor by the name of Charles Sheldon published a novel called In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? It became a bestseller. The book told the story of a town that was revitalized when Christians pledged themselves earnestly and honestly for an entire year not to do anything without first asking the question, what would Jesus do? One of its readers was Janie Tiltenberg. She was a youth leader in a church in Michigan. After rereading that book in 1989, she talked with her youth group about it. She considered printing t-shirts for them bearing that slogan, but at the time, friendship bracelets were all the rage, so she got a local company to print 300 of them, and she opted for the abbreviation WWJD. Now, Janie asked the youth group to wear them for 30 days. They caught on and more were needed. Now, other people with a more of a commercial eye than her spotted the trend and made their own and took the marketing to a national level. By the time she attempted to register her trademark, it was too late. Today, tens of millions have been sold. And Janie and her church, even though they didn't profit financially from um, what they did, they certainly were glad to have the word spread. Today, the phrase, it's been almost overused. There have been everything from political parody, anti-war t-shirts, to things such as what would Jesus eat, which is like a biblical diet plan. I even heard one woman, and this was a few years ago, she said WWJJD to her husband, which means what would John Jefford do? <laughs> the phrase may be overused, overexposed, and outdated, but the truth remains when we ask the question, what would Jesus do in this situation? How would he treat this person? I believe we would have much more compassion and we would be much more compassionate people. Remember, compassion is more than feeling sorry for someone. Compassion is sharing the feelings of others and possessing a desire to help them in their trouble. In truth, compassion is a desire to be Christ to someone else. The kingdom of God, it's about reaching people. It's about touching people. It's about transforming people. And the way we reach, touch, and transform others is through compassion. I, I read about this one board member who found his newly appointed pastor standing at his office window in the church 
weeping as he looked out over the inner city's tragic conditions. Trying to console him, the board member walked up and said, don't worry, after being here a while, you'll get used to it. To which the pastor responded, yes, I know. That's why I'm crying. Let us never get used to seeing people hurting and lost. I pray that we'll always have compassion for the people that we are around. There's this amazing correlation, Jesus linked, between the church's ability to reap a harvest and a Christian's compassion. Look again at our text, verses 37 and 38. It says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I think Jesus purposely linked these statements of reaping a harvest with a laborer's compassion. In Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6, it says, Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. We need compassion to reap the harvest. To reach people in our community, our city, and our world, we need to be motivated by compassion. If we're going to reach the lost and dying world, we need to ensure that our heart is moved by what moves God's heart. We need to be passionate about what Jesus is passionate about. Just imagine what would happen if we began to see people as they are in God's eyes walk in their shoes and treat them the way that Christ treats us. The results would be unbelievable. After the initial shock, our home would be at happier places. Our co-workers, they'll say, the whole atmosphere here at work has changed. Our superficial relationships will deepen into real friendships, and our church will multiply in effectiveness as people discover that they can find love right here. Jesus had great compassion for the lost. And maybe you're listening today and you are lost. You don't know Jesus as your Savior. Well, I want you to know that God loves you so much that he gave his life on the cross. He took the punishment for your sin and mine. I pray that you will call out to him today. Confess that you are a sinner. Ask him to forgive you and invite him into your life and your life will change forever. And if you make that decision, please let us know so that we can rejoice and journey with you and help you as you um, learn more about Jesus and have him in your life. If you've already done that, if you are a Christian, I hope that you've been inspired to be more compassionate in your everyday life. You know, you never know what a kind word or an act of compassion will do in someone's life. I'm going to end with this story. One day, a teacher asked her students to list the names of the other students in the room on two sheets of paper, leaving a space between each name. Then she told them to think of the nicest thing that they could say about each of their classmates and write it down. It took the remainder of the class period to finish their assignment. As the students left the room, each one handed in their papers. That Saturday, the teacher took the time to write down the names of each student on a separate sheet of paper and list everything that everyone else had said about that individual. On Monday, she gave each student his or her list. Before long, the entire class was smiling. 
really, she heard whispered. I never knew that I meant anything to anyone. And I didn't know other people liked me that much were most of the comments. Now, no one ever mentioned those papers in class again. She never knew if they discussed them after class or with their parents. But it didn't matter. The exercise had accomplished its purpose. The students were happier with themselves and with each other, and then eventually that group of students moved on. Well, several years later, one of those students was killed while serving in the army. The teacher attended the funeral. The church was packed with his friends. One by one, those who loved him took their last walk to the coffin. And the teacher was the last to do so. As she stood there, one of the soldiers who acted as a pallbearer came up to her. Were you Mark's math teacher, he asked, and she nodded yes. Then he said, Mark talked about you a lot. After the funeral, most of Mark's former classmates went together to a, the luncheon, and Mark's mom and dad were there, obviously waiting to speak to the teacher. We want to show you something, the father said, taking out his wallet from his pocket. They found this on Mark when he was killed, and they thought that you might recognize it. Opening the wallet, he carefully removed two worn pieces of note paper that had obviously been taped and folded and refolded many times. The teacher knew without looking what the papers were. They were the ones on which she had listed all the good things each of Mark's classmates had said about him. Thank you so much for doing this, Mark's mother said. As you can see, Mark treasured it. All of Mark's former classmates then started to gather around. Charlie, one of them, smiled rather sheepishly and said, I have, still have my list too. It's in the top drawer of my desk at home. Chuck's wife said, Chuck asked me to put his in our wedding album. I have mine too, Marilyn said. It's in my diary. Then Vicki, another classmate, reached into her purse, took out her wallet, and shown her worn and frazzled list to the group. I carry this with me at all times. She said, I think all of us saved our list. And it was then that the teacher finally sat down and cried. You know, you never know what a simple act of compassion, a kind word, a loving act will do for someone. Let's do our best to think and be conscious of the people around us, to see them with God's eyes, to feel with God's heart, and to treat them the way God treats us because it will make a very big difference in the people's lives that we come in contact with. Now, the greatest act of compassion in all of history was when Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for your sins and mine. We were lost in our sin. We were separated from God. But because of his great compassion towards us, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to take the punishment for our sins. 